Our first scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Listen now for the word of God. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I talked to a friend from seminary days recently who lost her mother about a month ago. Though her mother was in her 80s, her death still came as a surprise as there had been no long illness to offer some warning of the grief to come. She died within just a few hours after having a heart attack. My friend said, it has been the strangest experience. 
My grief seems to make me restless. I'm forgetful, I don't sleep well. The feeling in my stomach is almost like the feeling of fear, and it seems to be with me all the time. I get irritable more quickly, and I find that waves of grief wash over me at the most unexpected times, caused by the smallest things, a familiar smell, a particular song, words of scripture or a poem or a hymn. I feel fine one minute and find myself in a puddle of tears the next. One thing that does seem to help is just keeping to a routine, to stay busy, to return to work, and to be with friends. Those things can help to distract me for a while, and they seem to ease the weight of grief. Having been in her place in my own life experience, I could relate to her experiences of grief and affirm how normal everything she was feeling is to remind her that there is no timetable for grief and that in reality, grief lasts a lifetime to varying degrees. But I could also tell her that those most acute feelings would not last forever, that God was already at work helping redeem her grief, helping her pick up the pieces and go on to discover our God's last great truth in each of our lives, the truth of resurrection, both beyond the grave and on this side of it. Most of us in this room today know plenty about grief, I would guess. Perhaps we have lost people we love as much as our own lives. Perhaps we have lost a marriage to divorce, or a profession that helped to shape our identity, or a dream that was the center of our hope for the future. And we are scrambling to pick up the pieces and find new life. Some of us have received a diagnosis that robs us of the certainty of good health that will allow us to live to a ripe old age, and we must endure long and difficult treatments. Others of us are still emerging from the haze of the COVID pandemic, and we are still trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces of what life used to be and to move on. Whatever the loss may be, most of us know what it is like to experience this deep grief, to have our world turned upside down and to flail about a bit as we seek to find a new equilibrium, to pick up the pieces and learn a new way of living in a world suddenly and deeply changed. Dan Clendenin, in a piece for the web magazine Journey with Jesus, writes about how it feels to move through the world after a shattering experience. He writes, adults respond to the shattered fragments of life in different ways. Some people sit among the shards and just try to survive. Others break the broken pieces into smaller and smaller fragments. Still others, passing among the scattered pieces of that great overturned jigsaw puzzle, start to pick up a piece here, a piece there, with a vague yet irresistible notion that perhaps something might be done about putting the thing back together again. The new world we build from the broken pieces may never look exactly as it did before, but it can still be beautiful. It can still offer joy. It can still be filled with an abundant grace. Picking up pieces and restoring what's broken is what Peter and the other disciples are trying to do in today's scripture reading from the Gospel of John, it seems to me. They endured a horrible trauma, 
as they watch their beloved Lord, teacher, and friend die a terrible death on a cross. The events surrounding his death forced them to reckon with their own failures as his disciples, as each one of them in their own way denied, scattered, and abandoned him at his greatest hour of need. They watched as the beautiful dream they had spun together of a victorious and powerful Messiah got buried in a sealed tomb along with Jesus. And now, here it is a couple of weeks after the death of Jesus, he has appeared to the disciples three times prior to the story today. Once he appeared to Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb on Easter morning, and she ran to tell the good news to all of the other disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Then on Easter night, he appeared to 10 of the 11 remaining disciples in a locked room, and he showed them his wounds and breathed the Holy Spirit on them. A week later, he appeared among them again in that same locked room, this time so that the disciple Thomas, who was missing on Easter evening, could see, touch, and believe for himself the wild, miraculous news of resurrection. The disciples spent the first week or so after Jesus' death and resurrection in that locked room in Jerusalem, seemingly in fear that the same forces that crucified Jesus would come for them as well. Finally, in today's scripture, they seem to have taken some courage from Jesus' first appearances to them, and they have left their locked room and the city of Jerusalem behind, and they have come home to Galilee. Even with the miraculous news of resurrection, however, they are still flailing about a bit, it seems, uncertain of what to do or where to go next, uncertain of how to pick up the pieces of their former life, of their former dreams and hopes, and build a new and beautiful mosaic from the shards lying all around them. And so like many of us in times of grief, when our world is turned upside down, they returned to familiar routines to help ground them, to return them to life. One evening in Galilee, Peter says, I'm going fishing. The rest of them say, hey, we're coming too. Back to fishing. The profession that had sustained many of them before their world was forever changed when they first met Jesus on a shoreline in Galilee some years before and had left everything behind to follow him. That night they fished all evening, but they caught nothing. Just as dawn was beginning to break in that dim gray light before the sun truly rises, someone from the shoreline calls to ask if they have had any luck. When they say no, this man tells them to move their net to the other side of the boat. They don't recognize Jesus at first, perhaps simply because of the gray, fuzzy half-light of pre-dawn. After all, they were in a boat about a football field away from the shore. But they decide to take the man's advice and they haul in so many fish that it takes all of them working together to hold on to the net. It is in that moment when they receive this abundant gift of grace that they recognize Jesus. It is not that the light has changed enough to make his features distinguishable. It is the abundant grace of the moment that brings clarity to their minds and their hearts and their vision. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
and Peter, dear, impetuous Peter, jumps into the lake and begins swimming to shore. I have often wondered what Peter was feeling in that moment. Excitement, hope, love, surely. But he must also have felt that lingering, gnawing grief and the overwhelming guilt of his denial of his relationship to Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest on the night of Jesus' arrest. Do you remember that scene from John's Gospel? The authorities arrested Jesus with the help of his betrayer, Judas, and they took him bound into the high priest's house for a trial on trumped-up charges. Peter lingered in the courtyard outside, warming himself over a charcoal fire. And in that dark night, over that crackling charcoal fire, Peter denied being one of Jesus' disciples three times. As Peter wades ashore on this morning in the gray light of dawn, he sees Jesus standing over a crackling charcoal fire. A charcoal fire is found in only two places in the whole of the New Testament, in the courtyard outside the high priest's house and here on this beach in the morning. Surely Peter remembered the last time he stood over such a fire. Perhaps in that moment, Peter expected nothing more than judgment from Jesus. Perhaps he expected Jesus' righteous anger. Perhaps he expected Jesus to deny him, just as he had denied Jesus. That would have been justice, after all, according to the world. Instead, Jesus simply says, come on, let's have some breakfast. And then Peter and the other disciples watch as Jesus takes bread and breaks it and takes fish and hands it to them. Take, eat. Perhaps their minds flashed back to other times with Jesus when he turned a water, water into a ridiculous abundance of wine at a wedding in Cana, when he took a few loaves and a couple of fish and blessed it and broke it and fed 5,000 people with it and still had leftovers enough for plenty of doggy bags to go home. Perhaps they remembered all the times he had touched the sick, the demon-possessed, the disabled, and healed them. Perhaps they remembered all the meals at all the tables filled with those whom the world called sinners, where Jesus made it clear that there was always room at every table in God's house. Perhaps they remembered the last night of Jesus' earthly human life when he served them at table, just as he was serving them on the beach when he washed their feet and broke bread and poured wine and told them they needed to love each other just as he had loved them. You see, with Jesus, there had always been grace upon grace upon grace, such abundant grace. After breakfast, Jesus and Peter took a walk on the beach, and Jesus gave Peter a gift Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three declarations of love to make up for three denials. Again, abundant grace. 
Jesus ends his talk with Peter by calling him once again, just as he had called him the very first time he ever encountered him on a shoreline years before. And he said, feed and tend my lambs and sheep and come, follow me. That moment of redemption is stunningly beautiful. This moment allows Peter to pick up the pieces of his shattered world and his shattered hopes and dreams and his shattered heart and soul to leave his denials behind knowing he is forgiven and to begin to build a new world in which he would every single day in many concrete acts of love, obedience and faithful service seek to follow Jesus Christ once again. And follow him faithfully he did, building his church following him until his own death on a cross. This story tells us something important about the meaning of Easter. Easter is about redemption, resurrection, and new life. It is about each one of us waking up each morning as a disciple of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus is walking with us in the very ordinary daily routines of our lives, when we are engaged in our daily work, when we are engaged with our family life, Jesus is there with us, asking us to follow him. He does not come to these disciples on this morning when they are engaged in sacrificial acts of faithfulness and heroism. He comes to them in their everyday common act of fishing as they return to their familiar routines. And each morning, Jesus is standing on the shoreline of our lives, wherever we are, whatever we are doing on that particular day, offering each one of us abundant grace and calling us to start anew today, feeding and tending his sheep and lambs, engaging in concrete acts of love, mercy, justice, hope, and compassion, and putting one foot in front of the other as we seek to follow him. Today, tomorrow, the next day. Every single day, resurrection is possible within us, among us, and around us. Every day, redemption is taking place within us, among us, and around us. On some days, we will feel, as Peter did, that we have failed. And on those days, Jesus will offer us abundant grace and the chance to start again. On other days, we may feel as if our life is in broken shards all around us, but even then, even there, Jesus is with you, calling you to come and pick up the pieces and begin to build a beautiful resurrection life, even out of the broken pieces, and then to help other people do the same. Most of you know about our friend, Pastor Fred Ankai Taylor in Vinitsa, Ukraine, who, along with his family and his congregation from the Church of the Risen Christ, are sheltering, feeding, comforting, clothing, and tending to the physical, emotional, and spiritual wounds of hundreds of refugees of war who arrive on their doorstep every single day, and then providing transportation beyond Vinitsa onto the border of Ukraine and Poland for those who wish to leave the country. He told me the other day that many of those coming to them are not believers. They simply have no real faith. Many of these refugees ask them why they are doing this hard, dangerous work 
during this war. They ask them why they work to exhaustion, lose sleep, don't eat as much as they should, why they continue to do this work day after day after day. And they say to those who ask, because Jesus calls us to love others as he has loved us and to follow him as his disciples. He has offered us so much love and grace, we must do the same. Pastor Fred tells me that many have now come to their worship services and they want to learn more about Jesus because of the courageous, loving discipleship of the faithful body of Christ in Vinitsa. They see the abundant grace offered in the name of Jesus Christ and that abundant grace is transforming their lives. It is helping them pick up the pieces of the broken shards of their lives lying all around them and build a new life of hope, redemption, and resurrection. In that ministry, the church in Vinitsa is living out the truth of God's last word in this world, which is always abundant grace. It is always hope, resurrection, and new life. My friends, we are not living in a war zone, but there are so many people within these walls and outside these walls in our community and all across the world, each and every day, who are in desperate need of love, compassion, mercy, hope, and joy. They need a reminder of God's abundant grace and that grace always bats last, to quote Anne Lamott. Jesus is standing on the shoreline today of each of our lives, calling to each of us individually and to IPC as a community of faith. He is calling us to receive the abundant grace he offers. He invites us to this meal that he has prepared for us today. And on this table, there is grace more abundant than we can begin to imagine. And once we have received this grace today, this abundant grace, he will call each of us by name and he will ask us the all-important question, do you love me? And if we say we do, then he will call us to do all that we can to share his abundant grace with others and to come and follow him. And each day when we wake up, we can put one foot in front of the other and try again to love him and to follow him faithfully and to call others to follow him into this amazing resurrection life of abundant grace. So may it be. Thanks be to God. Amen.